Hi. Um, I'm just wondering, have you got any kind of like sort of punky electronica kind of grime, kind of like new wave grime, but kind of maybe like more broken beats, like kind of dubby broken beats, but a little bit kind of soulful, like kind of drum and bassy, but kind of more broken drum and bass, like kind of broken beats, like break beat kind of broken drum and bass, kind of. Do you know what I mean? No? Hello, welcome back to Death with the Record. I hope you guys are doing all right. I have a feeling that our choice for this episode might raise some eyebrows. If you haven't seen on our Instagram yet, go to at Death with the Record, give us a follow. We're going to be chatting about Lily Allen's album, All Right Still, which came out on the 13th of July, 2006, on Regal Recordings. So we had a look at Back to Black and Amy Winehouse last year. That also came out in 2006. I suppose this episode is somewhat of a companion piece to that. I suppose in some ways Amy and Lily are kind of opposites, but in others quite similar. Anyway, as I said, the year was 2006. We start things with a year in music. Anything interesting for me this week, Ol? The thing is, whilst we chose to focus our Amy episode on the indie landfill side of things, which you <laughs> so aptly described it as with, you know, Razorlight, Fratelli's, Katie Tunstall, etc., I thought it would be better for this episode on Lily Allen to have a look at some of the pop music that was released. I'm going to tell you straight up, Jamie, some of it was on Lily's level, some of it definitely was not. To kick things off on a positive note, it has to be said that Timberland, the producer, was absolutely killing it this year. He produced Justin Timberlake's Future Sex Love Sounds album, as well as the majority of Nelly Furtado's Loose. So, I mean, you've got nearly half a dozen number ones right there already. There were quite a few of you know the big pop stars from our lifetimes that had records out this year. So the likes of Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Pink, Rihanna, Gwen Stefani. Anyway, this is where things started to go downhill a little bit. The caliber of boy bands leaves a lot to be desired from 2006. You know, you've got the likes of McFly and Westlife. I don't know about you, but I always held a grudge against McFly. I don't know why anybody would want to listen to them when you could be listening to the OGs Busted. Yeah, it did, it did feel weird at the time that Busted had their massive explosion to success and then just McFly appear a couple of months after that. Yeah. It was a bit cynical, wasn't it? I think we just we got to take a moment to just shout out James, Matt and Charlie. Busted were my first ever gig and uh, yeah, what a night that was. Anyway, 2006 was also the year of Take That's comeback with Patience, Shine and Rule the World. I hated them then and I hate them now. I don't understand who would give Take That the time of day when you could be listening to Robbie Williams and I'm pretty sure that you feel similarly. I imagine we'll be talking about this over the course of the episode, maybe not specifically, but certainly stuff adjacent to this. Gary Barlow is just a fucking wanker. He's, I, I, I can't stand Gary Barlow. I hate him so much. But I know I'm going to take the opportunity to plug the vid that we have coming out on YouTube this week because yeah. I know that you've got something special cooking on Robbie Williams the pop star we deserve I'm absolutely buzzing to see it so I hope other people are as well so definitely keep your eyes on our Instagram and our YouTube channel on absolutely. the topic of Robbie he actually brought out Rudebox in 2006 and it was interesting to know that some of our followers on social media last year were really gassing up this album so much so mm. that it actually prompted a critical re-listening on my behalf and do you know what Jamie 
I was wrong. I actually quite liked some of the songs on there, and I'm going to stand by Rudebox. I mean, I don't even know, man. I'm, I, as you just said, I'm doing a video on Robbie Williams and how he's the pop star that we deserve, but... I, Rude box? All right, I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll let you have that one. I'll let you have that one. Funnily enough, do you know who appears on the fourth track on that album, Jamie? I have no idea. It is none other than Lily Allen providing backing vocals. Really? So if that isn't a segue worthy of at least a minor sponsor, then I don't know what is. <laughs> and that was 2006. The other side of things. And over to you. Yeah, I thought we'd start the episode with a bit of biography about Lily, because obviously we're going to talk later about what makes a good pop star. A hint for you all, the personality and lifestyle is a lot to do with it. So I think it makes sense to start by talking about where exactly Lily Allen came from. Most people will know that Lily is the daughter of Keith Allen, the actor, the man about town, the featuring vocalist on the best football anthem ever made. I could go on. Her mother, people might not know, uh, is a woman called Alison Owen, who is a successful film producer. And then her brother, again, quite notoriously, is Alfie Allen, a.k.a. Theon Greyjoy, a.k.a. The Alfie on this album's tracklist. So you might have thought there was such a culturally rich background, Lily might consider herself to you know, be quite privileged. But oh no, she insists that that doesn't tell the whole story. Over the years, Lily has kind of painted a picture of her early childhood on a council estate and her time dealing pills in Ibiza. But funnily enough, she doesn't often mention that her dad, or her stepdad even, was Harry Enfield, or that she went to Prince Charles' alma mater. Obviously, I'm being a bit facetious, but Lily's background has often been used as a stick to beat her with by the tabloids in a way that I don't think always seems fair. She definitely had media connections, but I also think it would be a stretch to call Keith Allen posh or Keith Allen establishment. So when it actually comes to the music, at first Lily was signed to a label through connections of her father's, but she was shortly dropped from that label without making any releases. Her eventual break was actually about as self-made as it can be in the music industry. So in 2004, she was introduced to the production duo Future Cut, and together they started making demos in a small basement studio, basically based around the poppy, kind of scar-inflected instrumentals and then Lily's lyrics. Later on, Lily created an account on MySpace and began posting the songs she'd worked on with Future Cut there. Slowly at first, and then quite rapidly, those songs on MySpace started to rack up a lot of attention. Now, for those of you out there who don't remember how MySpace worked, or were too young to use it, which makes me feel violently ill. Don't worry, we'll go into a bit more detail about that later. What you need to know is that these original songs she produced with Future Cut, alongside some new material she recorded in New York with Greg Kirsten and Mark Ronson, ended up forming the entirety of this debut album, All Right Still. First of all, Lolly, I wanted to talk a bit more about Future Cut. So the duo is composed of Tunde Babalola and Darren Lewis, who actually made their names in the drum and bass scene during the 90s, working with artists like Goldie, if you can believe that. <laughs> they are responsible for songs in this album like Smile, London, Friend of Mine. They definitely have a distinctive sound. I'd probably describe it as it's quite sunny, catchy, vaguely reggae-ish, scarish, lots of horns. Now, funnily enough, Ollie, I know you're a big fan of theirs. <laughs> I know you love the songs on this album that they've done, love their production style. And the other day I was wondering why that might be. Like, Ollie keeps messaging me about Future Cut. What's going on here? <laughs> you know, what reason is there usually for Ollie to get irrationally behind something and just pester me about it? So I did some reading, and that's when I found out that Future Cut are from and based out of Manchester. Surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Makes perfect sense why you were talking about how they were just complete geniuses and they were the ones that made this Lily album what it is. So I thought I'd let you kind of take the floor now and blow it out the water, fella. Tell me about. Future Cut and why they are, yeah, 
I just want to say that I'm actually quite happy and relieved that you've managed to get Lily's biography correct and give Future Cut the credit they're due. As you mentioned, mm. you know, they were responsible for five tracks on the record, among them Smile and London. Not only the two lead singles for All Right Still, not only two of Jamie Cameron's favourites on All Right Still, but also the tracks that, you know, meant Lily had the credit in the bank to fly out to America and work with these other superstar producers that you seem to admire so much. So, you know, these days you gassing up Mark Ronson is about as predictable as you shitting on Manchester. <laughs> so I'm not really surprised that you're trying to dig me out or dig Future Cut out. All I'm trying to say is just appreciate that, you know, they made some great music with Lily long before she was famous and a star. You know, unlike you, Jamie, I can listen to an album and enjoy it, regardless of whether the producer or the singer is from. I don't dismiss them because of their hometown. So, you know, more than anything on this episode, this I, just, twisted. I just hope we can really start to properly deal with some of the deep-rooted insecurities that you have about being from Peterborough. Well, I don't know which, which part of that to respond to first. I guess all I'll say is that I'm not from Peterborough. I'm actually from Swansea, mate. So uh, <laughs> you wouldn't really understand what it's like to be from one of the principalities that has been demonised by England. You just wouldn't really get that. So, <laughs> yeah, we, we, won't, we won't talk about that in too much detail. I mean, speaking about the tunes themselves, all I want to say is I just prefer their half of the album. Mm. That doesn't mean I'm slagging off the songs that Greg Kirsten contributed I really, really like Everything's Just Wonderful. But, you know, all that said about Future Cut, I will admit that, as you've already mentioned, you know, their production was only one part of the puzzle. Okay, it was, you know, an important initial piece, but MySpace was also clearly very important in being able to bring that music to a wider audience. Yeah, so we, we mentioned MySpace earlier briefly. I definitely think it's something that we should have a further chat about just because it meant so much for Lily's career. If you go on Lily's Instagram, her bio literally says the queen of MySpace. When we talked off mic earlier, Ali, I get the impression that you really didn't have much idea about MySpace back in the day. You didn't go on it. You didn't have one. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, not really, man. I remember I had a neighbour who was a few years older than me and he was, he was quite big into it, but... I feel like with me and my mates, it wasn't it wasn't such a thing. Yeah, see, the thing is, for me and my mates in school, we were all basically trying to start bands from the age of 13 to about 18. And at the time, having a sick-looking MySpace <laughs> was a large part of the puzzle. A friend of mine, who yeah, I think he spent about 50 quid getting some random middle-aged MySpace consultant guy in to do the design work and the coding so the MySpace would look good. And there was a reason to believe that this kind of thing was important. It did work. You know, MySpace was this prominent force in driving the publicity for Lily Allen's early career after she uploaded those future cut tracks that we talked about. But it's also, you know, has been important in Dizzy Rascal's early days, the Arctic Monkeys, even our very own Enter Shikari, who I know you just love and have a, a, a real <laughs> special place in your heart from. It's a shame they're not from Manchester. <laughs> um, anyway, eventually MySpace was bought by Rupert Murdoch and then kind of died a death and no one cares about it now which is definitely a good thing. But this got me thinking, right, you know, where has this gone? Where, you know, the internet has only become more integral to our lives. Social media has only become more important over the past 10, 15 years. So where does the viral internet music come from now? And obviously the answer is probably TikTok. Mm. You think of a song like Old Town Road, which is probably the biggest song in 2019, one of the biggest singles for the past couple of years, a country rap song from Little Nas that blew up on TikTok. There's loads of other examples, even friend of the podcast, Matt Maltese, had a song, When the World Caves In, that kind of went semi-TikTok viral last year. I know you're not on TikTok, Ollie, and I don't ever expect you to be. What I want to ask is, should we get a death for the record TikTok? I'm thinking that maybe <laughs> we need to start 
exploiting the, the viral potential. But then also, yeah, like what, what do you think about how social media has played such a big part in Liliana's early career? Well, maybe, maybe instead of TikTok, we should just set up a Death With The Record MySpace page and really try and kind of go retro <laughs> with it again. It's, is it actually still online? That's a I, good question. That is cause... a good question. We'll have to find out after we stop recording. Mm. I mean, I guess one of the interesting things to me about MySpace is that it's one example of social media are quite a nascent stage. Nobody really mm. understood properly what you know the ramifications, what the proper power was. And Lily was able to, you know, really harness this new and exciting platform, launch her career and, you know, share music. But, you know, I, I feel like sites like Instagram now obviously have a whole different set of problems. But I think one thing they have done is reduce the reliance on paparazzi for private pics and stuff about a celebrity's life. As much as Instagram has helped, it basically kind of serves as like a publicity machine, but they have control yeah. over it for celebrities, right? Even now, I, I Googled Liliana just before we came on recording, and the Daily Mail and The Sun are running an article about how she went for a lockdown walk with her stepdad, Harry Enfield. It's just like, who, who cares about this stuff? So it still goes on, but you're right. She was at this really early stage with MySpace, and now she is quite active on Twitter and Instagram, or at least has been over various periods over the years. Mm. And you can see why, because as you say, it gives her, her more control over her image and maybe allows her to undercut the tabloids, but only to a certain extent. That is one of the most interesting things about her autobiography, actually. I'd recommend people that are interested. She has she has like a very unique and interesting take on fame and tabloids. Mm. So yeah, it's, I'd say her book is, it's worth reading for that, I'd say. That's probably one of the most interesting things that comes out of it. What was it called again? Uh, that is really bad, I can't remember. That is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was, about, I was about to gas you up and be like, Look, this is the kind of dedication we have on this podcast. Ollie read Lily Allen's autobiography <laughs> to get some insights into her character so that we could transfer. You know, we don't just sit on and start recording. We do our we do our due diligence and then you can't even fucking remember what it's called. Oh, anyway, right, let's still, let's still go out the music. Have you got any favourite songs? I think Friend of Mine would definitely mm. be up there. It's a weird one. Produced that. by who? Uh, produced, by who? Produced, by, produced by Future Cut, actually, from oh, right. It's weird because I have absolutely no memory of listening to this as a kid. Because I, I don't know like you, but I had All Right Still on, on CD. I must have got it as a, as a kid for Christmas. And I don't remember making it this far into the album where I would have heard it. Probably, probably my favourite song on the record. What about you? Less of a deeper cut, but it has to be Smile, right? I mean, this is one of the mm. defining hits, I'd say, of the whole decade. And I think the other thing is that it has everything you want from a pop song. It's got a great music video, catchy lyrics. The instrumental is, is distinct. Yes, it's future cut, and I think it's doing something new that hadn't been heard at that time in pop music. It has a perfect chorus. And all these things come together to make just this incredible, incredible pop song. If you look at the first lyrics to it, you know, kind of her introduction to the world, it's, when you first left me, I was wanting more, but you were fucking the girl next door. What'd you do that for? Now, obviously it's not like Shakespearean, but that is just a classic introduction to the world. And I find it really satisfying when a pop star or any musician has a debut single and a debut song on their first album that just sums up their appeal so perfectly. I think that song does that. Now you're calling me up on the phone So you can have a little wine and a run Is that 
is it's obviously discussing classic pop music tropes i.e heartbreak cheating missing a lover but at the same time at like however you know 20 years of age she may is able to make all those things feel incredibly unique and really get across her own voice yeah it's the it's the adage of do it the same but different because that's what she's doing as you say yeah. there's all these tropes she's making pop music but she's adding an edge to it and i think that's as you go through the generations and these tropes get recycled and recycled in pop music. The thing that keeps it fresh and interesting is doing new stuff musically, which I think this song does. And as you say, subverting this trope of, you know, I want I want my kind of partner back by saying I don't, I want him to suffer. I think a good partner to that would be London. Funny story about this, I was re-watching the, her Glastonbury set in 2007 the other day, and she comes out to London wearing a hoodie, holding a kind of strong bow, just swigging from it, going straight into the song. And I think that, that that's a perfect representation of her as well. But I think the thing is that doesn't she doesn't get enough credit for, you know, everyone talks about her lyrics and her personality and style, which is obviously maybe her unique selling point. But I also think she has a great voice. Obviously it's not like a Beyonce or even a Taylor Swift kind of voice. Like she's not gonna start hitting like mad scat vocal runs, obviously. But she does have a really soft, sweet, almost fragile quality to her voice. And also half like she's talking the lyrics, but then even when she's doing that, she manages to carry some quite like complex and interesting melodies. So I think it's just an underrated aspect of her sound. by not only the Arctic Monkeys, but uh, the lovely Lily Allen. Some stray with mucky chocolate. You know what? Shove it hey, up your monkey. Oh, uh, daytime. We're live, Alan. I'm going to retract the mic if there's any of that. Your monkey bum bum, that's not swearing. That is actually that okay, good. I can clear that. It's all right, you can get away with that. Well done, yeah. So listen, Lily, we have to compliment you on your set because you did excellent work in, uh, in the pouring rain. How was it? It was quite difficult, actually, but I thought the only way to get through it was to get hammered. So I drank quite a lot of Jägermeister and Strongbow. That's not a plug, by the way, because people out there, you shouldn't drink either of those. All right, if you don't know by now, Apex is the segment, which requires us to imagine all of the artist's career is laid out before us like a landscape. What we want to work out is which album marks the peak and which fall closer to sea level. In other words, is All Right Still Lily Allen's best album. So this is maybe the first strictly pop album that we've covered on this podcast so far, which I think raises interesting questions about what exactly the pop album should be, and particularly how that has changed over time. I think it's fair to say that over the past 50 years, the album hasn't classically been the remit of the pure pop star. More conventionally, pop music has been about burning brightly, but burning briefly, you know, an album with two or three huge singles, not many people, besides maybe you, Ollie, and, and, and me to an extent, dissect the deeper Robbie <laughs> Williams cuts. Crucially, being a pop star is always just about the personality as much as it is the music. And I don't mean that to disparage. In pop stars, you have this marriage of charisma, style, like good looks, huge singles, and a compelling personality. And I think all those things together is something to marvel at. 
However, over the past 10 to 15 years, the attitude towards pop albums as a concept has definitely shifted. The rise of the Poptimist movement has meant that critics are now just as likely to pour over the new Taylor Swift album as they would one of Radiohead's. I'm sensing, you know, if I've lost some people here with this concept of Poptimism, it might sound a bit like some kind of like grassroots political movement led by Chico or something. <laughs> Let me just explain. In layman's terms, Poptimism is the belief that pop music is just as worthy of critical investigation as rock or other genres. Basically, it's suggesting that pop is not just cheap music for the masses, it has more serious intellectual ambitions too. If you're looking for a sign of this, then you can take note of all of the think pieces written in the past decade about how Beyonce, Lady Gaga, Harry Styles, whoever, are kind of changing the world. Anyway, this brings us all back to Lily Allen and the question of Apex. If we can consider all her albums on this serious critical level in this lens of poptimism, I want to work out which stand up to this investigation and which really don't. For me personally, I think All Right still absolutely holds up. Lily has this interview where she describes a conversation with her record label and they were quizzing her for, you know, which two or three songs on this album are going to be the singles. And she replied, like, you know, why not just try and make an album full of 12 singles instead of three? And that's what she ended up doing. Ollie, do you think any of her more recent albums are also worthy of this Poptimist analysis? There's different things going on in each which are actually quite revealing about either Lily Allen as an artist or British pop and chart music at that time. If you're thinking about No Shame, for example, that's her most recent album, came out three years ago, I think. With a couple of exceptions, for me, that is a largely forgettable album. But I do think it's interesting how different the production is on that record to her other stuff. You know, in a nutshell, the perfect example of how far dancehall, reggae and Afro-bashment music has influenced British charts in recent years. You know, there's a collaboration with Burner Boy on there, for example. I've got no issue with Lily working with different producers, but the problem with that record is, going back to what we were saying earlier about her voice, it's so overly produced that it barely even sounds like her anymore. And that was always, yeah. for me, like one of the really distinctive things about her, one of the attractive qualities. So why you'd want to lose that, I don't really know. It's a bit of a shame, actually, because I think lyrically, no shame stands up. You know, she's speaking about how she's moved forward, how she's with a new man, she's happy with her family and stuff like this, which is obviously a world away from the stuff on All Right Still. I'd say for me, like her lyrics are probably the main thing, which means we should take her work more seriously than the average pop star. On, I think it was It's Not You, It's Me, right? That was released in 2009. 2009, yeah. Yeah. I don't remember at the time hearing anything remotely like Not Fair on the radio. Radio stations would bleep out the raunchy words, but everybody knew yeah. what that song was on about. It was on about shit sex and this guy coming quickly. <laughs> It's quite fashionable now for you know sexuality to be in pop songs on the radio, but I don't think that was the case. And I think she deserves a lot of credit for speaking about those kind of things when maybe it was still a taboo subject. The way she talked about sexuality was was funny and, and interesting. Like there's a, in not, uh, it's not fair. There's a hilarious moment which is even more obvious if you watch the video, where they're talking about you know let's just say the her man letting her down to use that phrase, mm. and then after she says that. In the gap between the verse and the chorus, there's just this harmonica that kind of goes, like, <laughs> kind of like, like as if it's just kind of flopping down. That kind of like production quirk, it's just, it's, yeah, it's really, really great. I, I think It's Not You, It's Me is, is also a good album, which leaves 
Jesus as the as the only one left that we haven't talked about. I mean, what do you think of that album? I mean, it's different lyrically from previous stuff because she's actually you know speaking about her husband, her first husband that is, which in itself is kind of peak because she kind of went on tour to promote that album and ended up, I mean, just sleeping with a lot of people and they got divorced pretty soon after she got back. Wasn't one of them Liam Gallagher? I don't know if that was him on that tour. Was that later? I think that might have been earlier. That is that is quite an interesting story for people that are fans of Liam Gallagher. Have a little Google of that. Hopefully no one who listens to our podcast is a fan of Liam Gallagher. Yeah, Sorry, go ahead. That's on. true. I mean, for Jesus, there's a lot more kind of auto-tune stuff, which I'm not a massive fan of. But one thing I do respect about Lily is that she isn't scared to kind of slag off her own work. I feel like a lot of pop stars are very obsessed with cultivating, you know, a perfect image of themselves in their albums. She isn't like that. I'm pretty sure like a few weeks after Jesus had come out, she was replying to people on Twitter, absolutely slating some of the songs and just being like, yeah, I know it's, <laughs> yeah. it's crap. So I think even if I don't like the album, I've got respect for her honesty. Yeah, that, that's fair. Which brings us back to the original question. What is her apex? I think personally, it has to be all right still. It's always kind of sad when we talk about artists and it's their debut that is that, that high point. But for me, it's just kind of plain to see. Would you disagree? No. I think the best way to describe it is something that you've touched on. Usually on pop albums, there's three great songs and then the rest are filler. And I think with this, it's the other way around. And that's what elevates All Right Still to the realm of a really objectively good pop album. <laughs> well, last year, your biography was very honest. It said, well, you gave the Gallagher man the whap, yeah? <laughs> Sky sex. It's Mile High Club as well, isn't it? Yeah. In the air. <laughs> you, see, you see, with you and Liam Gallagher, did you date or was it just like a fling? Yeah, it was or... just a little seven hour thing. <laughs> no, but how did it happen? Because he seems like quite erratic, but like, did he just come over and like, all right, do you want to kiss me like that? I mean, you know, we met in, a, in the lounge before we got on the plane and then, you know, got quite drunk and then. So you move first, you put the McDaddy down. You said, well, let's just do this in the sky. Forget doing it on the ground. No hotel bed is worth this. I went to 600 miles in the air. While we're about to land. It was a champagne supernova in the sky. <laughs> okay, so normally alternate cuts is the section where Jamie and I take a breath and try to put on our thinking caps. If I was going to meet, you know, a girlfriend's parents for the first time and they wanted to hear a bit of the podcast that I run and a little bit about Death With The Record, then this is the bit that I would be playing them. And the reason for that is it's usually the most respectable section. You know, it tends to include Jamie utilising his politics degree and hopefully I'm not just describing everything as mad and sick. Having said all that, this is the pop music episode. So as far as I'm concerned, all that serious stuff can go out the window because, you know, despite everything we just discussed in Apex and Poptimism and whatnot, for me, pop music, above all else, is about having a little bit of fun. So with that in mind, we aren't going to be doing any serious thinking today. Instead, we are going to be playing a game we have decided to call Pop Star Leagues. Now, for our most fervent fans out there, you might recall that we put out a rallying cry a few months back for the names of your favourite pop artists. The moment you've all been waiting for has arrived. Those intelligent and beautiful people that gave us suggestions are about to get a shout out on Death With The Record. 
This segment is born out of the idea that whilst all pop stars are equal, some pop stars are more equal than others. <laughs> Justin Timberlake and Gary Barlow might both be pop stars, but do not try and tell us that they are in the same league. We will find you and we will fuck you up. So <laughs> Jamie and I are going to run through some of the suggestions people had and see if we can come up with a definitive and objective pop star ranking system. So for ease, we've decided to mirror the British football league structure. So the ranks we're going to be sorting our pop stars into are as follows. Premier League, Championship and League One from best to worst. That's Premier League, Championship and League One. Jamie, I'm going to kick things off with a few of the big names just so that people get an idea of what we're on about. Justin Timberlake. Premiership. Without a shadow of a doubt, top four Champions League spots, Premiership. I think Justin no Timberlake doubt. is one of the best one of the best pop stars of the past 20 years. There are about 10 of his songs, I reckon, that would fill any dance floor on the planet. And that mm. is the sign of true pop star greatness. Okay, well, that, that's sorted. Britney Spears. Uh, I don't know. What, what, what are you thinking for Britney? Surely she's got to be in the Premier League. Yeah, still though? Are we just talking about career as a whole or because nowadays, I mean, she's not really even a pop star anymore, is she? Nowadays, I agree that she's clearly in a in a sad, sad situation. But I don't mm. think you can neglect just how many tunes she's got, man. If anybody else had that calibre of back catalogue, I think we'd be sticking her in Premier League. Premier League, Premier League. Let's give it Premier League. Scissor Sisters. This is a perfect example of burning brightly but briefly because at their peak, I love the Scissor Sisters, but what are they doing now? Are they alive? I don't even yeah, know. I think they're still bringing albums out. Wow, okay. Well, I think Championship. I think Championship. I think the, the second tier for me. Do you are you disagreeing? Or? They are exactly what a pop band should be, just pure, unadulterated <sighs> fun. But what you're missing about, I think, the thing that makes a pop band a pop band is that the individual members have their own flavour and they have their own fame individually and Ooh. in the group. And I think the thing about Scissor Sisters is that, yes, they're charismatic, yes, they have their own thing going. I, I, have, I have no idea about what who they are as individuals. And I think the greatest pop bands could go on and have solo careers, and that's what makes the band great. I like that argument. Sorry, Scissor Sisters, you're going into championship. I've also got to shout out our number one social media fan, Binko, for all those suggestions. She she really did come in strong with the pop star names, so thank you, Binko. <laughs> the last one of you know the big names is from Chappers, and he's come in with Taylor Swift. What what do you reckon about that, Jamie? So you've got to give a premiership, but I will say really? that man, I've I've never really got Taylor Swift. I'll say that I've never really I'm not obviously her intended audience, but I've never got that into her. I'm basing this on the kind of the critical mass of fucking praise I hear from everyone else about how, especially her, her two most recent albums, Folklore and Evermore, are good in a very serious way. People seem to love her, and I think at some point there's got to be some truth to it. No, you, you seem she's that you championship, man. She's championship. Mate, she's got to be, in forms of record sold, she's got to be one of the biggest, one of the biggest stars in the world. She's yeah, 100%, be, like, but she, she doesn't have bangers in the same way that Justin Timberlake or Britney do. I think that's our age coming in, man. I think that we're. I think I don't think we're well positioned to analyse Taylor Swift. But let's, let's, we'll leave it to the fans. Let's see what the fans say. Leave it to Chappers. I'd like to see what he thinks. <laughs> right. So we've talked about some of the the big hitters, as you just say. Some some more names to to throw out there. This is kind of someone from the old guard, very much. Natasha Bedingfield. What are you saying? Well, the thing is, if it was up to me, she'd be in Premier League. 
and I know that sounds outrageous, but Unwritten is just my go-to karaoke track. <laughs> Funnily enough, when we were in first year of school, we had to write a poem about somebody that we admired, and I ended up writing a poem about Natasha Bedingfield. And I actually managed to dig it out a few years ago, so if you no. need, ever need any tips for your creative writing, let me know and I'll uh, send it across. <laughs> Yeah, mate. All right, I'll I'll keep that I'll keep that in mind. Right, I'm moving on. I don't want to hear any more about that. Um, the next one is sent in by good friend Scarlett, and it's Craig David. So before you say anything, Ollie, because I know you're ready to gush, is Craig David a pop star? Obviously, yeah, music legend. But is he really a pop star? I'm not sure. The other thing I'd say, as I have a story relating to to Craig David, is like four years ago now, me and you, Ollie, were DJing at Guy's Bar. For those of you who don't know what Guy's Bar is, it's this kind of shitty, sticky-floored King's College student bar. Obviously, we thought we were we were well cool. We were trying to mix kind of pop stuff in with house and techno. I'm like, yeah, man, we're, we're fucking killing this. Anyway, there was this one, this one person, I think it was a girl, who came up to us, came up to the booth 20 or 30 times, it felt like, over the course of this night that we were, we were DJing, being like, please play some Craig David. Every time she'd come up and say, play Craig David. And eventually, you know, we were at first kind of being like, oh, nah, no requests, no requests, no, no, no. By the end of it, I'm pretty sure we dropped some Craig David. Am I, maybe I'm misremembering that, but. Yeah, man, we dropped seven days and I remember it went off. I was, uh, yeah, I was pretty proud of that mix. I mean, I get, I get what you're saying. He's not, <laughs> he's not a proper pop star. But if we're talking in terms of bangers, then he would be Premier League for me. I think he was responsible for one of the most iconic covers of all time for Born to Do It. I just think that album is quality. I'm not sure I know the cover. Can you describe it to me? What, what's you, you know it? He's he's wearing a, he's wearing some headphones and he's got his eyes shut and he's on. It's against a kind of earthy background. You definitely definitely recognise it. Next one, Binko suggestion again. Alexandra Burke. To me, that is awful, awful, awful pop star stuff. Had a look, her most popular song on Spotify is a cover of Hallelujah. Just, just terrible. No charisma. For me, not even League One, local league. Five-a-side, power league. I agree with you there. Just never, please, no one, no one ever do another cover of Hallelujah. I'm begging you. Next, Binko, once again. Definitely something funny going on with these submissions. Almost like you've disregarded half of the ones and just used the ones you wanted to, Ollie. Anyway, Christina Aguilera, um, what were you saying? I would say she's in between Championship and Premier League. And I'm going to go with Championship just because I don't think her back catalogue is quite on the level that Britney's is. But a very, very respectable pop star, I think. Some of her music videos are crazy. I, I would agree with that. And Binko once again. Avril Lavigne, what do you think? There's definitely been a recurrence in her aesthetic in like the last three, four years, I think. Do you know what I mean? Like bad emo, emo girl. Skater yeah. look. And interestingly, I couldn't believe this, Let Go is the best-selling album of the 21st century by a Canadian artist, which is slightly crazy. More than, more than anything Justin Bieber's done. Ooh, that is a good point. That well, it might be like physical sales. This is what I read on oh, Wikipedia true. this morning, so okay. maybe it's bollocks. <laughs> I, would say, nice. I would say she's championship because, again, if you're thinking like Britney's top of the pile, then it's Christina Aguilera, then it's Avril Lavigne for me, so I'm going championship. Yeah, she's for me. She's Watford. She's bouncing back. She's kind of Troy Deeney would be my uh, kind of. And <laughs> <laughs> any more? Any more for any more? Well, yeah, we've got. I've got a few new names that I'm going to throw in the throw in the hat. Mm -hmm. Got Rosalia, Charlie XCX, and Dua Lipa, and they were suggested by Binko again, and also Johnny <laughs> Parry, who I know is a big Dua Lipa fan. So let let's start mm -hmm. with Dua Lipa. What's what's your opinion on her, Jamie? 
all three of these names right are at this kind of intersection between pop music and then almost experimental kind of production that's going on and I think that's mm. what makes them interesting they deserve credit for that approaching Prem Championship I think she lacks the bangers I would say yeah but I think she's she definitely is an artist of substance I wouldn't I wouldn't begrudge her that what do you think I'm probably not the best qualified person to speak about them because I haven't spent as much time listening to their music as I have say like Scissor Sisters or Justin mm. Timberlake but Likewise. I 100% with, agree with what you're saying I think it's beyond doubt that production has stepped up massively from the days of you know Natasha Bedingfield for example I think there's so many more <laughs> interesting ideas contained now within a three-minute pop song and Johnny who's the guy that sent in Dua Lipa he was actually telling me the other day that the producer who works with Dua Lipa and made Pretty Please, for example, which you might have heard. Apparently, mm. he's like a massive Aphex Twin fan. And, yeah. you know, while, whilst I'm not saying that I'm expecting some Dua Lipa Aphex Twin collaboration anytime soon, <laughs> I think there is definitely a correlation between electronic music of that kind and some modern pop music. I'd say for these, they maybe haven't been around long enough to say they're a Premier League pop star Agreed. yet. But they're building a promotion charge, and I think in the next few years we could see all three of them in the top tier. 100%. I think Charlie XCX, just the boys' music video, that's a title charge right there as far as I'm concerned. Right, so these ones are, let's just say, slightly more light-hearted, but they have been sent in by our listeners. So first one is Kenny G, sent in by Lewis Royce. Um, <laughs> for, people who don't, for people who don't know who Kenny G is, basically he's a saxophone player. He, he makes kind of pop jazz. He's as close to a pop star as you can be as a jazz musician. And it is horrible stuff. It is terrible. He is, again, I'm not sure we can come up with a league low enough to put Kenny G in. <laughs> like, Vanarama National would be what I would say. There's a, there's a quote from Pat Metheny, who's a, who's a jazz guitarist, who's well-respected. And he says that Kenny G has created <laughs> a new low point in modern culture. Sometimes you say the word jazz and people think of some of the worst music on earth, like for instance, Kenny G. I mean, you know, there's nothing more stupid than that, let's face it. That's the dumbest music there ever could possibly be in the history of human beings. There could never be music any worse than that. And now people think that that's what jazz is. Well, that's not what jazz is at all. Cheers for sending that one in, Royce. Yeah, he, he is as low down the, the billing as you can get. Next one was sent in by Gavin Jones. And it's Donny Tourette. Again, <laughs> going to need perhaps an explanation. Donny Tourette is the frontman of the punk band Towers of London. I presume what, what Gav is kind of getting at is the fact that Towers of London are not from London, they're from Peterborough. I presume that what, that's what he's referring to. I thought you might have bribed him, Jamie, to send that name in because you were getting a bit I'm upset not... that your hometown wasn't getting the oh, credit. Yeah. It? It's, not, it's not my hometown. Peterborough is not my hometown. This needs to be made clear. Yeah, and Donny Tourette, I mean, he's not a pop star. We'll give him League One because Peterborough United are in League One. His, right. his legendary appearance on Nevermind the Buzzcocks earns him he, that, oh, yeah. that league place, I think. Yeah, I mean, that informs like pop star charisma. You have to give it to him. Maybe, maybe maybe not charisma. Pop star controversy. Google his Nevermind the Buzzcocks appearance and also Google Donny Tourette Peterborough and there's a simultaneously horrendous and hilarious clip of him walking through Peterborough being filmed by a documentary crew. He is paid to follow him. And some random like Peterborough bloke kind of runs into him and is like, who the fuck are you? Like, what, what, what are you doing with your skinny jeans? And then they end up having a massive brawl all on camera <laughs> and then they run away. So I recommend uh, giving that a Google. What are we doing? Documentary? Yeah, Peterborough Town Centre. Yeah. We've been touring in the States and 
I've oh, just come well, home today. Rock, rock yeah, but I was born in Peterborough, born and bred in Solstice. So you're a rock star, yeah? I'm a fucking rock star, yeah. You're just, you're just making yourself look big by getting someone to follow you around for camp called up. <laughs> well, what do you do then, fella? Are you a rock star? I'm a carpenter. Trying to make yourself look big by getting in the camera. I guarantee I'll beat the shit out of you in half a punch, man. Stunt large. Look how skinny you are. Look at your legs. They're like fucking chicken legs. Give Don't me a... film me because I'll hit you with my beard. Fella, give yourself a break. I was joking. Give yourself a beer. I'll break you in the Why do you need to beer? be... Why do you need to hit me with a beer? Because you're annoying me. I was having a chat with your mate here messing Give around. me a fucking break, mate. Final one of these slightly more light-hearted ones, sent in by Debo, aka Mandel, and that's David Zowie. I mean, do you want to say? Not really. I mean, he's not really a pop star, but I know Debo does love this song. It actually went to number one, which I find staggering. The other thing that I remember a few years ago when David Bowie passed away. Deep House fans thought it was actually David Zowie <laughs> that had died, and there were like tributes yeah. pouring out on Twitter, like House Every Weekend was great. I'm sure there'll be a House Every Weekend in heaven and stuff like this. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm saying, I'm saying League One, Jamie. Yeah, again, League One relegation zone for for me. Right. So, do you want to kind of introduce the final couple? My first is Larue. What do you think? Ooh, interesting. I'm, I mean, instantly my mind is thinking of going in for the kill. But then, am I missing other big songs? You got Bulletproof, that was a banger. Oh. And then she also did a song with New Order called Tutti Frutti, which is absolutely Oh, of sick. course. I, I think she's a really underrated pop star, man. Yeah. I'm not trying I, to I, say I, she's Premier League, but I think she's definitely Championship. Yeah, fair enough. Nottingham Forest, I'm saying. I think Championship. Fair enough, fair enough. What, what's the other one? Sophie Ellis Baxter. And Ooh. what I'm about to say, what I'm about to say might be absolutely scandalous, but I'm not going to lie. I think Sophie Ellis Baxter should be in Premier League. If you think about pop stars, as we've said on this episode, it's about burning brightly and briefly. Sophie Ellis Baxter has one song, Murder on the Dance Floor, <laughs> but that song kills whoa, 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 whoa. it every time it comes on. She's also, she's not got one song. She's she got, I mean, she's got what? one banger. Nah, man, there's another banger. What's the other one, the the really other really famous... I'm going to completely ruin this now because I haven't got my spot for it. But she has one other song that is an absolute classic kind of housey, um, like, disco kind of thing that, from around that time. But yeah, I think... I'm, I'm happy to give her a premiership. Happy okay, to. cool. Right, uh, final two, some of you will be glad to hear, I'm sure. First one, serious. Second one, slightly less serious. Harry Styles. So I reckon five years ago, he would have been League One, absolutely no question. But I feel as though he is making a little bit of a promotion charge and working his way up the tiers. I'm going to go Championship. Oh, see, I I agree with the logic of what you're saying, but I think he's definitely a few steps ahead. I think I think he's Premiership, and I think he's Manchester City. He's newer blood. He's lacking the history, maybe. His backstory may be a bit questionable, you know, like kind of foreign owners slash... One Direction, but he's successful. He's establishing a legacy, and I really like the Harry Styles singles over the past few years. I will also say he is cool. I can't believe I'm saying this, but Harry Styles is—he's really cool, and I think that that counts a lot in the pop star league. So I'm saying I'm saying Premiership, and I'm saying he's quite high up in in the Premiership rankings. Okay. Top tier. Yeah, I, I, you've 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 charmed me. You've, you've, you've charmed, charmed me. me. Final one, kind of a, a boy band. Well, actually, maybe not a boy band, a band. The Fool. What do you think? Marky Smith? 
What do you think? I think if Marky e. Smith could hear us having this conversation and knew that we were talking about the fall, he'd be turning in his grave. <laughs> so yeah, I don't. I don't think they should be in our pop star leagues. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. Should we should we call it a day there? Right <laughs> to say that one of the writers of the theme from Sparta FC is spending the afternoon with us. As a City fan, he kept a close eye on the Manchester City Blackburn game. It's Marky e. Smith who has kindly agreed to read the classified football results for us. Barclays Premiership, uh, Charlton Athletic 1, Manchester United 3, Chelsea 3, Newcastle United 0, Manchester City 0, Blackburn Rovers 0. You're a big Manchester City fan, I know. What did you make of your team's performance this afternoon? I don't know if you managed to watch much of it, and what do you think about City this season? Hopeless as usual. Really? Sadly, we are approaching the end of the show and that of course means taking a trip to Death With The Records album cover nightclub. So we finish every episode by imagining a situation where each album cover is getting into a nightclub and Jamie and I are the bouncers. Except unlike a normal venue, Lily isn't able to blag her way to the front of the queue or claim special treatment. You know, honestly, we don't care who your parents are, so you can stop telling us that your dad was the sheriff of Nottingham on a BBC series back in the day. Her album artwork is being judged on four specific criteria. Aesthetics, originality, harmony between music and artwork, and whether or not it could be considered iconic. So there were four ranks to Death With The Records nightclub. First is GOAT, so that's the creme de la creme, best of the best, legendary cover. VIP, not quite on that level, but a very solid effort nonetheless. Third, Ticket On The Door. This is borderline, to be honest. You're lucky that Jamie and I are getting on well tonight and our ID scanner's broken. The fourth, name's not down, you're not coming in. It says it all, pathetic. Please get out of our sight. Anyway, All Right Still's cover was designed by Czech Morris, who are a French graphic design studio. And I feel like listeners from the UK will almost definitely be familiar with the artwork, given the record's popularity here. But for our followers around the world because we are a global podcast now, there are quite a few visual references to Lily's lyrics. You know, the cover's adorned with her riding a bike, vinyl records, sound systems, black cabs, a dog wearing a police hat, yada, yada, yada. I wouldn't say that I'm visually blown away by the cover, but I do believe, Jamie, that it rates quite highly on iconic status. When I think about Lily Allen, Mm. I always tend to picture her in something similar to what she's wearing on the cover. That combination of dresses and trainers, black eyeliner and just shitloads of gold jewellery. That is her (laughs) quintessential look. She's definitely had a significant impact in terms of fashion in both pop music and wider British culture, I think. So as a consequence, I'm going to argue that Lily, you know, she might be a bit rowdy, but I think she's getting into the club. I don't know which level she ought to be at, but I think she's getting in. What, What do you reckon? Yeah, I agree. I think the iconic rating is what's helping her here. As you say, I mean, even someone like the, the fashion icon Binko has definitely taken a lot of inspiration, <laughs> taken a lot of inspiration from Liliana over the years. I know. Yeah, the the prom dress, trainer, hoop earrings look, I think is carrying this album cover in. But it's it's in on the door. Yeah. It's it's uh, we're letting you in, kind of calm it down. It's not a uh, getting the VIP. It's not the Belvedere treatment for sure. Yeah, if you start throwing punches, we'll be we'll be chucking you out for sure. If you've got Harry Enfield with you, you can come in. That's <laughs> it. That's a nice, almost extended edition. Thanks to our, our pop star league. Hope you guys enjoyed. We'll be back next week and get us on the socials at Death for the Record. If you've got anything wrong about the pop stars and if you think the fall actually belong in the, the Premiership. See you later, guys. 